If you want to turn to 1 John 4, we're going to base ourselves in there for this morning. 1 John 4. I will start reading at verse 7. And you can follow along in your Bible or it will appear on the screen behind me as well, I suspect. 1 John 4, verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. Because in this world, we're like him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. This is a densely packed piece of scripture with plenty for us to chew on and get hold of. There is in there this definition of love that goes against what the world would say to us. The Bible here says love is God. God is Love And he shows this love by sending his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. To make up for where we've gone wrong, Jesus was sent. That we might know God. That is love. It says a lot about God's love. It also talks about the confidence we can have on the day of judgment as those who are in Christ. The whole book, John tells us later in chapter 5, is written that we might know that we have eternal life. And this passage feeds into that aim, that we might have confidence on the day of judgment. John wants to make sure that we, as disciples of Jesus, are not unsure of our salvation, that we are very sure that on the day of judgment, we will know we'll be received with open arms by the King of Kings. And there's also plenty of talk about what it means to live in Christ, in God, for his love to be in us. For knowing what it is to have the righteousness of Christ for us and for God to be at work in our lives. But 
if we look at it, there's probably one key message that comes out. It's one thing, one thing that John asks us to do three times in this passage and two further times in the book. And this is John's encouragement. Love one another. Any reading of this passage cannot avoid this encouragement that as Christian believers gathered together in this church, John would encourage us to love one another. Now, John is often called the apostle of love, but it's not a message that is singly his. It's a message that is littered throughout the Bible. It's an encouragement to God's people throughout the whole of time. It starts back in Leviticus. Leviticus 19.18. The people of God are told this. Love your neighbor as yourself. The people of God at the very start are told that a key dynamic of God-fearing, God-loving community is that they love one another. Paul, writer of most of the New Testament letters, has this to say in Romans 12, in verse 10. Be devoted to one another in love. Peter, another one of Jesus' disciples, in 1 Peter 1.22 says this, Love one another deeply from the heart. And of course, in John 13, verse 34, Jesus says to his disciples there and then, Love one another as I have loved you. I'm afraid, my friends, there is no escape from this. This is a value that we need to get hold of. This is something we need to embrace. This is something we need to embody as the people of God. It is a commandment from Jesus, in fact, to love one another. Now, children, if you count yourself a child, I have a question for you. If you are asked to do something by your parents... What question do you normally ask them when they ask you to do something? It involves one word. Does anyone know what that question might be? Why? Could you go and fetch that for me? Why? Can you turn the TV off now? Why? Well, I'm going to encourage us for briefly, just to be that slightly petulant child... And to ask John that question, why? Why should we love one another? And it may appear obvious, and if if it is obvious, that's brilliant. But just in case it isn't obvious, or just to consolidate that solid ground, we're going to look at a few reasons that John gives us for why we should love one another. Verse 19. We love because he first loved us. He's loved us, and so therefore we love. We've been exposed to this amazing love of God, this unconditional love of God, this secure love of God, this sacrificial love of God. He started something. He's broken into our lives and revealed something of his love for us. And if that happens, 
John says, love one another. Verse 7 says the same thing. Love comes from God. And verse 11 says this. Since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now for those of us living in grace, our hackles go up for a second. Ought? Ought to love one another? Just a minute, John. Don't you know we're in grace? This is a man who walked with Jesus. And he is so convinced about how God's love affects the believer that he can say, in grace, we ought to love one another. That's not a burden. That's not legalism. That's the transforming nature of the gospel. Since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. We've been exposed to this ridiculous, lavish, abundant love. He so loved us. We ought to love one another. This love was demonstrated so clearly at the cross. This is love that he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. He has given so much for us. He's expressed his love in such ridiculous ways. Since he so loved us, it's our motivation, it's our reason, it's our why, we ought to love one another. But verse 12 offers another reason as well. It says, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God's, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. I find this a fascinating verse. Let's see how we go with this. John, John is saying, we've not seen God. So then he's offering the next best thing. He's offering an alternative to seeing God. He said, we've never seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Two things here. When we love one another... We're making a God we don't see tangible and more real. We won't see God in this world, but as we love one another, we see God, if I can put it that way. But the other impact is this. When we love one another, when we're actively involved in loving someone else, we're expressing God's love. We can be a vehicle for God to love other people and for him to make his love tangible and real to other people. I find that quite staggering and quite amazing. And we're in a world where people are searching for love, where particularly romantic love has been raised to this high level where all our needs will be satisfied in a romantic relationship. I'm not too sure the Bible says that, actually. It has a very high value on marriage and on love within that context. But I just want to raise the value of love amongst brothers and sisters in Christ. And that we actually have the ability to make God's love tangible to one another. God's love real to one another. When we step out, when we commit ourselves to loving one another, we're making God's love real to others in the church. That seems to me to be a pretty hefty reason 
a pretty hefty answer to the question why we should love one another. Liar, liar, your pants are on fire. Your nose is longer than a telephone wire. That's the official words, by the way. I googled it, just in case any questions. Here's a reason why we should love one another. Let's not be liars. Let's not have, if I can put it this way, our pants on fire. This is a stark reason, really stark. John, the apostle of love, says this. If anyone says... I love God, yet hates his brother. He is a liar. If in worship times you passionately declare your love for God, arms aloft, joyously dancing, never ending in moments of ecstasy, exclaiming how much you love God, but you don't love your brother, my friend, you're a liar. It's not harsh. It's the word of God. How can John say that? How can John be so down the line about those things? Let me suggest this as a reason why. Authentic salvation, real Christians, those who have genuinely been redeemed, those have received who have received a new body a new life, who are a new creation in God. Those who have had the righteousness of Christ affect their lives. Those whose sin have been taken as far as the east is from the west. Those who have tasted and known the love of God can't help but love one another. It is the authentic test. Christianity isn't about isolated worship of God. It's about loving God and loving one another. We cannot escape this. It is a serious reason why we should love one another. But actually, if we know his love, we will love one another. That's why John can say those things. So what sort of love then? If we cover the reasons why we should love one another, what sort of love are we meant to be showing one another? John 13, 34. Let's go back there again. John 13, 34. Very briefly, it says, Love one another as I have loved you. What kind of love? Jesus' love. What kind of love? Love that costs. What did Jesus do for us? He laid down his life. What did Jesus do for us? What did he do for his disciples? He washed their feet. It's a servant love. Any true expression of love comes at a cost to the one doing the loving. Any expression 
of true love comes at a cost to the one doing. My wife and I were chatting about this idea of loving one another. And by means of illustration, unfortunately for you, we felt that Frozen was a very helpful, the film Frozen was a very helpful illustration at this point in time. Because in there, it talks about the one true act of love. And throughout, what is described as the one true act of love is for the person who is ill. I'm not going to give you the whole storyline. I'm going to spoil the, the, the ending probably, but if you've not seen it by now, then you're probably not going to see it anyway. So it's described, the one true act of love is described as a kiss from her beloved. A kiss. A real true act of love. A kiss. Wow. That's a lovely act of love. It comes at no cost, really. It's quite nice. As it transpires, the true act of love was one of self-sacrifice. Now, there is some debate as to what the true act of love is. But if you listen to the film, what I'm saying is right. It was the self-sacrifice that was a true act of love. If we want to love one another, I'm sorry to say this, it's going to cost us something. It's going to cost us energy and time and finance. It's going to cost us lots of things. I'm really sorry about that. But it's true. Any act of love will cost us something. But I will tell you something for free. The rest of it I'm charging for. It will cost us nothing compared to what it cost Jesus on the cross. And that is our motivation. That is how we are encouraged to love one another. Love one another as I have loved you. I suspect we'll get not particularly close to how much he loved us. But we have the opportunity to operate in and express costly, sacrificial love amongst us because of him working in our lives. But I know you still want to know what exactly is he asking us to do, though? Love one another is a wonderfully nebulous, nice-sounding phrase, but what does it really mean? We are, okay, is it, there's a cost to it. Let me just, as a kind of a side point here, just make a comment, perhaps on my psyche, it may be the same for you as well, the way you made up. I'm desperate for John to give me a tick list. What I want is a series of things he can tell me to do, so I can knock them off a list and go, yes, I'm loving one another, and I can feel like I'm fulfilling the commands, and that I've justified myself, and I am self-righteous. Woo! That's what I'm looking for. John doesn't give us that. Now, there are other places in the Bible where it gives us some specific direction as to what it means. But John just merely says, love one another. He's kind of happy for us to work out what that means. He's comfortable with that. And again, I think there's a reason for that. The reason for that is this. If you are in Christ, I am very confident that you will actually be doing this already. In fact, I'm convinced of it. If you are genuinely saved, I know you will be loving others. 
whether it's a spouse, children, whether it's others in the church, you'll be doing it already. In some way, at some point in the recent time, you have done something to love someone else. And you know that. We kind of know that. We know actually our hearts have been changed and we want to do that, don't we? We want to love one another. And so, one, let's go to two, let's go to two Thessalonians one. I think there's a really helpful verse in two Thessalonians. If I can find it in my Bible, that is. Two Thessalonians one, verse three. I'm, I'm struggling actually. I have to confess to you. There we go. It says, we ought to always thank God for you, brothers, and rightly so. This is verse 3. We ought to always thank God for you, brothers, and rightly so, because your faith is growing ever more and more, and the love every one of you has for each other is increasing. The love you have for each other is increasing. I want to ask the question, am I loving others? I want the tick box. I want the list. Am I loving others? Now, I think we're doing it. I think in some way we're doing it. I think a more helpful and perhaps a more challenging question is this. Are we loving more each other more? Are we increasingly loving one another? That seems to be what happens in New Testament churches. In Thessalonica, Paul observes this, that their love for one another is increasing. We want to be those here where our love for one another is increasing. We want to know what our trajectory is. We want to ask where we're heading. Are we loving more or are we loving less? Yes, we want to love one another and we are doing it, but we want to do it more. But we still want to know what we want to do, don't we? What does it mean to love one another? How do we fulfill this command? What did John have in mind when he said to the believers, love one another? Well, I can tell you what he didn't have in mind. Someone sitting on a sofa having warm, fluffy feelings. Love one another. Mm, loving everyone. Oh, lovely, warm, fluffy feeling. I don't think he had that in mind. And at this point in time, I think it's helpful to refer to the eminent um, theologian's DC talk. Now, that's a reference maybe only a few will get. A Christian band from the 1980s. And they had a song. And it said, anyone going to guess what the song is? Love is a verb. Get down with DC Talk, Christina says. Love is a verb. It'll be on YouTube somewhere. Look it up later. Love is a verb. Warm, fluffy feeling. No. Love involves action. Love is a verb. John, I'm sure, wanted them to do something as a result of his encouragement to love one another. It wasn't a static command. It was an active command. Love one another. We need to do something. We need to say something if we want to fulfill this command. Within a marriage relationship, for example, a husband. I'm just going to take one part of the, uh, the marriage at random. I'm going to take the husband. Sitting on a sofa, watching TV. And his, his wife says, do you love me? And he says, yes. So how do you know that you love me? How do I know? He said, I've got warm, fluffy feelings inside. It's obvious that I love you. Can you not see? I really, really love you. Mm, in here, love you, love you. If that doesn't work it out, 
itself out into some form of action at some point in time, then that love isn't that great. It can't just be a feeling. It can't just be a sentiment. It needs to work its way into sacrificial action. Husbands, in Ephesians, love your wives as Christ loved the church, giving himself up for her. Husbands, sorry about this. You've got a call for more sacrificial love than anybody else. Because we're called to love our wives as Christ loved the church. So we specifically have that encouragement. We all want to embody some sacrificial love. But husbands, it's not warm, fluffy feelings on the sofa watching TV, I'm afraid. It's something more than that. You can work that out in your own time, I'm sure. Let me contradict myself. It's always good to do. 1 Corinthians 13. We cannot talk about love without popping into there briefly. 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but have not love, I'm nothing. If I, give, if I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. That's what love's like. But what does it say in verse 3? If I give all I possess to the poor... If I do something sacrificial, if I do something apparently loving, but have not love, I gain nothing. How do we put these two together? They've got to be hand in hand, haven't they? We can't love one another just by feeling and sentiment alone. But if we embark upon acts and sacrifice, and our motivation isn't love, if our motivation is something else, then we gain nothing. It's this joining together of the two. We must make sure that we know and taste and understand God's love for us, which affects the fact that we love him and therefore love one another. And when we know that love, that love works its way into action. But we can be those caught in action without love. We can continue doing the actions that were originally motivated by love, but the love has gone. Maybe you find yourself in that situation this morning where you're making sacrifice when something you're doing is costing you and you embarked upon that because you, you had love for someone or something. Let's make sure We come back to love. Let's revisit the reasons why we did those things. 
Let's come back to God, the source of all love, who pours out his love into our hearts. Love one another. How do we love one another? How do we love one another more? We talked about motivation. We talked about the feeling, the sentiment of love. I think it's more accurate to describe it as a motivation. God's love for us impacts us and motivates us, pushes us, gives us desires and longings to outwork that love. And as we look and as we finish and look about how we can love more, the temptation for me is to look at the actions and to produce some things that are loving examples of that. And I've, we've, we've looked at a few of them as we've gone through. But I'm aware that as we do that, there's a tendency in us to veer towards legalism and, rather than grace. What I mean is this, that we can look towards those acts as means of justifying ourselves before God. I want to be really sure that we don't do that. And I want us to do that by looking at how we can affect our motivation. I've just got a few things. These aren't comprehensive. This is not like a guidebook. These are things that have helped me personally that, are, that perhaps will help you. And I'm on the same journey. I've got to be honest with you. I'm, I'm preaching to myself as much as anyone else. I need to love other people more. I want to love other people more. I've looked at Jesus. I've seen what he's done for me. And I know I'm not outworking effectively the love he's shown me in the way I interact with other people. I'm fully aware of that. But I want us together to grab hold of something today. And here's some things. Hopefully these are helpful. Psalm 48, verse 9. Psalm 48, verse 9. Does anyone else here get meditate and marinate confused? It can make for a very sticky devotional time. I'll tell you that for a fact. It says in verse 9 of Psalm 48, we meditate on his unfailing love. We meditate on his unfailing love. If we want to be those who love one another, we must not move away from this. We must not move away from meditating on his love. And I do like to think of this as marinating. When you marinate meat or marinate, I get confused whether it's a T or a D, but we'll just run with it. When we marinate... Meat with spices and flavors, that meat takes on that spice and flavor. If we want to be those who love like God loves us, we need to meditate or marinate in his, in his unfailing love. We want to meditate, spend time thinking, contemplating. And as it says in the passage we looked at in John, we want to live in love. We want to dwell in love. We don't want to move away from the fact that God loves us. We want to stay there. We want to meditate or marinate or marinade, whatever you want to do, or whatever you want to call it, we want to make sure that plenty of our time is spent thinking and contemplating God's love for us. Romans 5.5, 5, it says this, God has poured his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. He has done it, but we can pray for him to do more of that. Father, Will you pour your love out into my heart by your Holy Spirit more and more? He is our Father. We have been adopted into his family. He wants us to know his love. We can ask him for that love. 
Ephesians 3. This is a great prayer to pray. If you want to love one another more, if you want to love others more, we want to make sure we're contemplating and getting hold of God's love. We want to make sure we understand it. So I reckon praying this through, verse 17 to 19 in Ephesians 3. Halfway through. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. It is legitimate to pray that for ourselves. It is wonderful to pray that for others as well. That we may... I'm going to to pray it. I'm going to pray it now. For you guys and for me, I'm going to pray it. Father... We pray that as we are rooted and established in love, we may have power together to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Amen. Galatians 5.22 The fruit of the Spirit is, we'll try that one again. It's getting towards the end, I understand. The interaction is a bit difficult, and so when I point my hands, heads may be down. So my hands are about to go out, and when I do that bit, you can say the most obvious word that comes into your head, bearing in mind what I've been talking about. Yeah? You ready? The fruit of the Spirit is? Love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Good one. What does that mean? If we ask God for more of his spirit, one of the things that we produced in our lives is love. Let's ask God for more of his spirit so we can love one another more. It's not complex. Here's a practical one for those who like to journal. Who's a journaler? Oh, Kirsten on her own. Oh, Abby. There's only three people who actually write journals in the... In the church here, in this congregation, we've got four or five, got a raise, oh, six. Even if you do it once every six months, let's count it. I need to be more encouraged here. Wow, we all do it. Brilliant. <laughs> Practically, I think noting, whether physically or in your mental journal, noting how we have been and are being loved by God and by others, bearing in mind what we said at the start, that can really help us love one another as we get hold of God's love. In Hebrews 12, I just mentioned this as a side. Hebrews 12 talks about God disciplining his sons. And it says something like, um, God disciplines those he loves. If we're not disciplined, we're illegitimate. If God loves us, then we'll be disciplined. And then it says this, treat hardships as discipline. So follow that through. That means in this encouragement to note how we have been loved, you can note your hardships bit weird, isn't it? Well, it's not. In those hardships, God teaches us so much, shows us so much, and reveals his love to us so much. It's actually possible to say, this week has been rubbish. And then doing that, you're noting what life is about. Or it could be, you're continuing battle with something horrendously difficult that I can't even get my head around. 
and in the midst of it, I don't even understand what you're going through. I, I can't get my head around it because I've got, again, not gone near it. You can know in that, God has loved me. It's what the Bible says. It's a bit of mental gymnastics, but actually, for those who have suffered deeply and dearly, the love of God is always close, always present. There may be moments when it's not, but overall, he draws close, he draws near in our suffering. Pray for opportunities to love one another. Like I said, this is not rocket science. These are really simple things, but hopefully. Remember, every interaction is an opportunity to show love. Every time you meet someone, particularly within the church, there's an opportunity to show love. Wow. It's as simple as that, isn't it, really? We can increase the love for one another by taking the opportunity every time to love one another as much as we can. Practically, let me just make, this is kind of, yeah, coming close to the end. Practically, loving one another requires one major thing. Interaction or relationship. So if you're sitting here saying, well, I'm not too sure this church is that loving, actually. Now, I suspect there's hardly anyone here saying that because I've been in this church for a while. I know our heart is that and we do that relatively well. We've got ways to go on it, I'm sure. But my suspicion is if that's what you're saying or thinking, that you're probably not that heavily involved relationally with people in the church. That's just my suspicion. I could be wrong. Happy to shut down that one. So here's the encouragement. Here's the outworking of loving one another. Get stuck into your core group. Get stuck into your small group. If you're a student here and you're checking this church out, the best way to get involved and to know this church is to get involved in a small group. And then you get to know the heart. You can come along on a Sunday morning and think, well, the worship's okay, it's great. The preaching's absolutely wonderful, of course. Who laughed that loud then? <laughs> you can make sure, but actually, is this church loving one another? You might get some indications of that on a Sunday morning or a Sunday afternoon. We have a, a second meeting in the afternoon. The way you're going to really find out is when it, it happens on Wednesdays or Thursdays, when the rubber hits the road, when we're sitting down, having a meal together, when we're chatting, when we're breaking bread together, when we're talking about how the week's going, when we're praying, when we're getting hold of the word together, when we study what it means, when we're sharing our heartaches, when we're sharing our joys. That's kind of where it happens. So if you're not stuck into your core group, you're missing out big time. I'm not saying that every week it's going to be easy and a total guffaw. That's not what core group's there for. They're there to help us get hold of the word, to grow in Christ, and to love one another. So if you want to love others or be loved, get involved in your core group. Commit to it. Give yourself to it. And when I say core group, I'm not saying a Wednesday evening or a Thursday evening. That is a meeting of a core group. A core group is a collection of people connected together who meet on a Wednesday evening. You can invest in those relationships outside of a midweek evening. Controversial, I know. But you can do that. And you can continue to show that love outside of a Wednesday or Thursday evening. You could even go around and offer to pray to someone on a Monday night. I'm breaking all social boundaries here, I know. But if we want to be those who love one another, we've got to make sure that love is not confined to meetings. It's obvious, isn't it? But actually, we can get into that, can't we? And getting back to the tick list, I love one another. Well, I went to core group and I prayed to someone, tick that list for the week. 
There's perhaps a little more we can do. Right, let's wrap up. The Israelites were commanded to love one another. Throughout New Testament, we are commanded to love one another. We are encouraged to love one another deeply from the heart. Jesus himself says, love one another as I have loved you. John, in this passage we've looked at, has encouraged us three times, no less, to love one another. And we want to be those who do it, and do do it well. And yes, of course, it involves action. Of course, it involves doing something. But my friends, we must make sure that we do not lose, lose focus here. We love because he first loved us. Let's marinate. Let's meditate on his unfailing love. And let that lead to action, to increase our love for one another. We want to be those that when Jesus says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. We want to be those who are authentic disciples because we love one another. There's no escaping from it. There's no running away from it. If you're an authentic Christian, God has done a work in your heart sufficient to change you so that you are disposed towards loving. And we need to cultivate that We need to get hold of God in that, ask him by his spirit to help us love one another. And this church will go from being a church that loves one another to really loving one another. And we will know tangibly God's love amongst us more and more. It is a wonderful picture that John paints for us. It is a wonderful aim, but it is achievable. It is possible by the love of God and his spirit at work in our lives. I would love to pray for us again. I'd love the band to come up if that's okay. I'm going to pray Ephesians 3 again. Because I could make up a prayer, and it could be helpful, or we could read the Bible as a prayer, and it will be helpful. Is the less risky option. But as I read this, I believe God would answer this prayer. So why don't we stand? Let's stand up.